Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. I'm so excited about today's guest. Today I'm talking to Dr. Hayley Quinn. Dr. Hayley Quinn is a clinical psychologist over in Australia, Brisbane. She runs a private practice called Quintessential Psychology. She has a Facebook page over on Facebook. Go and have a, a look and a like. And she's also president of Compassionate Mind Australia, which I did a blog post for a couple of years ago, and there's some amazing training going on in Australia. I first came to know of Hayley and the work she does through the hashtag 365 Days of Compassion. So we followed each other on social media. We obviously do a very similar kind of job, but both very interested in compassionate mind training and compassion-focused therapy. And then last year, I was at the conference for Compassionate Mind foundation over in Edinburgh and I was in the long ladies queue as you do and who was in front of me but the very glamorous Hayley Quinn. So we were delighted to meet each other in person, although it was not very glamorous circumstances. And she's just so warm and lovely. And luckily, we both are very big advocates of being perfectly imperfect. So the way we met was just absolutely imperfectly perfect. She did a keynote speech at the um, conference all about therapists and self-care, which is something I'm also very passionate about. And we both struggle with chronic health conditions. Later last year in 2019, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And Hayley, I kind of mentioned it a little bit on social media. And Hayley really kindly reached out to me and was just lovely and warm and compassionate. And she shared that she has... Um, a chronic health condition and she's given me some really good advice been really warm and compassionate and I thought I just have to have her on the podcast so I asked and she very kindly agreed so this is the episode she talks about her journey and overcoming lots of struggles to becoming a clinical psychologist and we talk a lot about chronic health and managing chronic health conditions compassionately I think I will do a um, solo episode a bit more about compassion-focused therapy because we talk a lot about it in this episode um, and how helpful it is. I have done a couple of blog posts, so I will link to them if you want to read a little little bit more. Um, But I hope you find this episode helpful and um, I look forward to hearing what you think. Enjoy the episode. So welcome to the podcast, Hayley. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. I've never actually been on one before, so this feels pretty cool. Fantastic. Your first introduction. I'm sure you'll get to do many more after this. And you're in lovely sunny Brisbane, aren't you? How is it over there at the moment? Yeah, it's good. It's very hot in Brisbane. Obviously, we've got the bushfires in Australia at the moment, so that's been a difficult time. Um, yeah. Where what? I am, we're not too affected by it, So, um, but it's really hot, actually, at the moment. Is it? What's the atmosphere kind of like over there? Is everybody kind of really struggling with the fires? Or? I think it's been a really, really difficult time for people. Um, but yeah. as with these things, a lot of people have come together to offer support. And I think Australia has been offered a lot of support from overseas as well, um, yeah. which has been really, really lovely. In, our, in all the shops here, there's donation things. And yeah, every, it's on the top of everybody's mind. So our thoughts are with everybody in Australia that are struggling at the moment with the, with the fires. And we are doing rain dances over here in England where we are really good at the rain dance. <laughs> we all, um, always yeah, we had a period yeah. of some rain um, which managed to put out some of the fires but we could certainly do with a lot more I think yeah and is that likely to come do you know not enough I don't think not enough and not quickly enough but um, hopefully right oh fingers crossed thinking of everybody that's struggling it's a, such a tough time but you're right it does bring people together doesn't it and and hopefully raise the climate discussion even further up on the agenda to emergency status. It's very scary times, isn't it? Globally. Yeah, it's affecting us all. So to start, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in your career journey so far? Yeah, um, so I'm Dr Hayley Quinn. Um, I consider myself to be an imperfect human. 
I'm a mum to an awesome <laughs> human being. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. and I live with my darling husband and my cute little dog in Brisbane, Australia. And um, I also have a house building company with my husband and sometimes have the joy of designing houses for people as well. So that's oh, fun. amazing. So you do quite a few things. <laughs> It's very different from being a clinical psychologist. Yeah, Um, it's nice to have that, um, a few things going on, isn't it? Yeah, I think having variety um, helps keep things interesting. So as well, I mean, you know, and probably people can tell from my English accent that I'm originally um, from the UK um, and moved out here quite a few years ago so I currently have a private practice which my main focus is compassion focused therapy Mm -hmm. Um, and I've worked in private practice prior to having my own and before that I worked in a community organization and also for a private psychiatric hospital where I ran a day program in a specialized trauma and dissociation unit oh wow yeah and I've started doing training for other health professionals as well which I really enjoy and then the other thing is I'm the president of Compassionate Mind Australia. Wow, that's fantastic. So you've got lots of things going on. Busy. Um, busy, but hopefully not too busy. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Keeping the balance good, as, as we always are doing. I'm always fascinated about why people beca- do what they do. Can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived at becoming a therapist? Yeah, well, I kind of took a bit of a long and windy road to that. Um, I probably had quite a rocky start in my earlier years. Yeah. And I left school with very poor exam results, Um, kind of went to some exams, didn't go to others, and sort of finished at O level, which here in Australia is the equivalent of grade 10. And I did various jobs, um, went to secretarial college, um, got different jobs doing admin and secretarial work, worked in an advertising agency. Um, and I ended up moving to Australia when I was 25. And it was meant to be for a year. And yeah. I had the idea that when I went back to the UK, I would study social work and I was going to try and enrol at Manchester University. Yeah. Um, and I ended up staying here. I didn't end up going back. Um, ultimately became a permanent resident and citizen citizen of Australia and during my time here I worked um, as a volunteer for a crisis helpline and also was employed at a national children's helpline and I really really enjoyed that work so I wanted to pursue studying because I had left school um, under the circumstances I did I really didn't think that I would get into university and I sat a special entrance exam and actually did really well and I started a psychology degree but unfortunately I was working full-time at the the time and I got quite sick so I ended up withdrawing from that degree. Now a few years later my circumstances changed and I found myself as a single mum and the sole provider for my nine-month-old child. Yeah, And when he was a little bit older, I had to kind of make a decision of what I was going to do long-term for work. Yeah. And I had skills, secretarial, admin, bookkeeping, different types of skills. Mm. But I knew that wasn't the work I wanted to do. I didn't really enjoy it. I wasn't passionate about it. So I decided to re-enroll in university. That's a brave decision. (laughs) You couldn't just easily just thought, oh, I just need to survive and do a job to bring in the money. Well, I mean, that crossed my mind, but I didn't want to just survive. Like, I wanted to thrive and I wanted opportunities for my son to thrive as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it was scary. And one, I felt stupid because I'd left school with barely any exams. and. Really I was exactly the ability. same actually I did it later on and I think it's because I work with some teenagers now and I think um, it's you know it's nice to hear stories where you don't have to get it right first time because yeah. teenagers are hard aren't they and yeah. PCSEs in those years for some children 
it's just not the right time but it's nice no. you there are I think, opportunities. yeah and I think it can feel like the be all and end all of the world if you don't do well yes yeah um I mean, I, I enrolled in my Bachelor of Psychology, which I thought that's just what I was going to do and then leave. And I realised then that, you know, then there's postgraduate. People were saying, are you going to do postgraduate? So I ended up enrolling in a clinical, um, a PhD in clinical psychology. Right. And, you know, trust me, no one was more surprised than me at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I, and I finished that, um, which was tough. I mean, I was raising my child on my own through that. Gosh, a little um, boy as well. So he was really young, was he, through that? Yeah, he was three when I first started my bachelor. So I think I spent the next nine years at uni um, finishing all that. But I knew it was what I wanted to do. It was almost like this is what I'm meant to be doing. Right. So um, you found like you felt, found your place in the world. Yeah, that. I think, um, yeah. So I, I left uni and I had, like I said, worked at a hospital and then I went into private practice. Um, and then ultimately I had some health issues mm. and had to make a decision to move my practice. So I started my own business, Quintessential Psychology, um, which seems a bit ironic. So I was, I was kind of changing my work because I had to do less because I wasn't well, but I ended okay. up starting a business. But anyway. You started up a business. <laughs> <laughs> but on the basis that you know i'd just take it easy and see what happened yeah yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> and, and compassion is such a big part of what you do and who you are as a person and a therapist and we are both part of the hashtag um 365 days of compassion i think that's how we connected isn't it yeah. all the lovely things that are shared each and every day on online under that hashtag that's run by um the wonderful chris winston what yeah. has compassion focused therapy given to you personally and, and the work that you do well first of all can i give a shout out to chris because yeah. he is amazing and all the work he does managing that is phenomenal yeah, um, so connected. shout out to Chris. so many people all over the world, hasn't it? And yeah, you know, it's just such a valuable resource. I'd really, you know, do go and follow the hashtag, definitely. Yeah. So, what has compassion focused therapy given me personally and the work I do? Well, it, I don't exaggerate when I say seriously, it's changed my life. Mm. Um, I think learning about compassion and really embodying it in my daily life has completely changed how I move through the world. Wow, that's powerful. Um, I'm kinder to myself. Mm. I manage my life differently. I manage my anxiety better. Um, mm. I think I'm more considered and thoughtful about the people around me and the world around me. Mm. Um, I use it predominantly in my practice with my clients. Yeah. And I think it's a really great way to work with people, particularly when they are struggling with self-criticism and shame, which is why Paul Gilbert developed it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing I like about it is it's such a gentle yet courageous way of working together. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it, for me as well as a person, and as a therapist, it's really important for me to, as they say, walk the talk. Yes. And I think focus therapy is one of those therapies where you, it is a lifestyle. You live it. It's, it's not something that you learn and then you give out. It's you embody it, don't you? And I think Absolutely. most people come to it through, through different ways. And uh, I think we, we both kind of learned about it and then had health things and then thought, oh my God, I need to be applying more of this to me. And Absolutely. How did you come to kind of get to know about Compassion Focused Therapy and the work of Paul Gilbert? Um, well, I guess Compassion for me was started, I, I kind of um, read The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion by Christopher Germer in about 2008 when I was a postgrad. Yeah. And um, in 2013, I was lucky enough to attend a workshop in Sydney with both Paul Gilbert and Dennis Tersh. Oh, wow. And 
the content I loved, but also they as presenters were just so engaging and entertaining. It was great. They're so charismatic, um, aren't they? Yeah, it was really, really lovely. Um, and I think, you know, learning compassion-focused therapy, being a therapist can be a tough job and being human can be really tough. And I just really under, came to understand that when we can offer ourselves compassion, it can certainly lighten the load. Like, it doesn't mean our lives become perfect. It doesn't mean everything's wonderful and we don't have problems anymore. I mean, it couldn't be further from that. Yeah. Um, but what it allows us to do is deal with these things in a different way and be more gentle with ourselves as we're doing that. Mm. as well so I've continued to do many CFT trainings like I, I couldn't get enough I was like any CFT training that was on offer I was like yep I'm doing that yeah and now it's become a major focus of my work um with my clients and also with myself yeah. you know and I've I guess I've been really fortunate because um I've had some really great opportunities come into my life through working with CFT as well mm. um not not just the the benefits for my life personally and not just the benefits I see in working with my clients but because I've had to change my work because of my health mm. I've been able to embrace other opportunities like I was invited to the Compassionate Mind Foundation conference last year to talk mm. um, and you did a lovely talk you did it on um, therapists and self-care which is a hugely important topic because we yeah I'm really <laughs> passionate about that yeah, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really good. Thank you. Mm. Um, and then I was invited to Singapore to do some training in CFT. And I, they must have liked it because I'm going back there again this year. Wow. And then in February, Paul's out over here and I'm doing a couple of trainings with him. So that's been really exciting as well and such a beautiful way to learn really up close with Paul and I've got other ideas bubbling away that you know will hopefully turn into something so it's a huge passion project for you isn't it yes I think um I think for me I really found the passion in compassion <laughs> yes yeah that's a good way of putting it what are the things are you you live with a chronic health condition as I do and and I think that's you know so we're we both find it really helpful for that don't we what are the things that have been most helpful for you in your recovery and managing your health no it's been really helpful actually I was diagnosed I think it was in about 2016 I've been very very unwell for many many years kind of when I look back it was more years than I kind of care to remember um, yeah. and I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia mm. now I've, ne I've never been really very public about that because when I first had the diagnosis yeah. I was struck by how much stigma was around the diagnosis and I felt a lot of shame. Like I didn't want to tell family or friends and I didn't want to tell colleagues. Um, and I think being able to recognise that I was feeling shame and face that yeah. has been really, really important. Yes. So you've I had real first-hand experience of... of of shame haven't you which is one of the main reasons Paul developed compassion focused therapy to because if we're struggling with shame we just mm. struggle to move forward and move past that until we kind of work on that shame yeah so self-compassion has been really helpful and I think it wasn't until I mean we can read about these things can't we can we learn yeah. about them but it's not until we really embody it that we understand the power of it and I think it wasn't until I really learned to be compassionate to myself that I started to let go of the fight that I was in with my body yes yeah um I was able to tell myself you know I didn't choose to have this illness this isn't my fault nobody wakes up and thinks hey I think I'll have a chronic illness that sounds like fun <laughs> no and we have these really tricky minds and my mind was telling me all sorts of crap about it. Yeah. I think and about me for having it. Yeah. Your identity as well, isn't it? Cause I, I mean, my background's in nursing and did 12 hour mm. shift. I just do not identify as an ill person at all. Mm. And then I was given one chronic illness diagnosis, then another. And I was like, Oh my God, I could literally put my pajamas on, sit on the sofa and live as an ill person. Now it's just yeah. really struggled with. Yeah my identity when you're given that label and what other people you know 
yeah. I don't know other people's minds and focus on you, which is, oh, it's just so tough, isn't it? Yeah. And I think learning to ask others for help and support. Now, that was a really difficult one for me. Yeah. Um, allowing myself to feel vulnerable and accept that I couldn't do all the things. Yeah. Because I'd always been, like, I think I had my first, you know, when I was at school, I had my first job when I was like 13, yeah. working in a local yeah. shop. I'd always worked. I, you know, I'd raised my son and done uni and worked a couple of jobs whilst I was doing that. How like, I was somebody. That? I was somebody that could do all the things, you know. Miss <laughs> independent, um, yeah. And then it's like, well, no, you can't do all the things. And it really took me some time to get to that place. But I was, I'm really glad now that I sat through the discomfort of that. Mm. And you know, I've got. I'm fortunate. I have a very supportive husband, and yeah. to be able to say to him, actually, can you help me? Or he would offer to do stuff and I say, yes, please. Because that allowed me to focus on managing my health rather than just keep pushing through it and trying to do it on my own. Yes. Yeah. So, and it can feel like you're giving up a little bit when you start, when you let go of the fights and you mm. kind of give in to, I need to just do nothing today. Yeah. That's scary, isn't it? Was there a turning yeah. point with the shame, you know, when you move from kind of you know being so kind of it sounds like you really hid it in the diagnosis was there a yeah. look I, I was fortunate to attend um, a training with Dennis Tursh in Byron Bay and yeah. you know how they ask people do you want to uh, volunteer to do a role play or a real play yes and, and I was like their head down. and I put my hand up because um, <laughs> that's that's been part of my growth journey as well through training is, is kind of volunteering for these things yeah. um so I put my hands up and I thought, I'm not going to do a role play. I'm actually going to do a real play and I'm going to do chair work with me and my anxious self and my self-critic around my health. Wow. And I was shocked at how self-critical, I mean, I was brutal. Yeah. Um, self-critic was brutal. But then I was able to um, come to this compassionate place of really realizing that I'm okay mm. and I'm worthwhile. And it really doesn't matter whether I'm ill or I'm not ill or what's going on for me. I'm a valuable human being. Um, and I didn't choose any of this stuff. And that was probably where I really was able to start turning around and look after myself better. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal work, isn't it? Chair work is so powerful. And I guess there'll be quite a few people listening, thinking, what on earth is that? And that's, that's a technique in, in therapy where, um, I mean, I, I don't really advertise it to my clients. If I'm going to do it, it's quite on the, you know, off the cuff in that um, I'll notice somebody's being self-critical and I'll say, I just want to get a, a sense of what that critic's like in your mind. So we pull out a chair and I get the person to sit in the other chair and I get them to speak to, to another chair from the position of their self-critic. And every single time when you really kind of hear somebody self-critic and I think there's something about really embodying yourself critic and saying it out loud this stuff's going on in our heads all the time but when we hear it out loud it everybody is gobsmacked at how actually how harsh they're coaching themselves and they're living with an internal bully that's just you wouldn't speak to anybody like that no <laughs> no and if you ask them you know yeah. is that how you'd speak to you your loved ones they're like oh no not at all I'd never speak to anyone like that like you're living with that voice in your hand mm. and and all of us I mean I I've done I when I started doing um compassion focused therapy I was like I'm not self-critical I'm not self-critical and then one day I think the more I read and the more I learn mm. you become more aware of your mind you think oh my god I'm really self-critical and then you have to work, work on it. But you don't, I think, you know, if there's one thing that's really transforming is becoming aware of your inner critic, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think I, I, had, I have known for a lot, a lot of my life that I've been very self-critical um, and had engaged in therapy earlier in my life as well. But I, until CFT, I really don't think I'd found anything that worked with that well. Um, you know, you'd work around different things, but not with that harsh self-criticism. And that's been beautiful. 
Um, yeah. And it's not to say I don't ever, you know, fall into self-criticism, but um, it's much shorter lived and I notice it far more quickly. You and, can catch it, yeah. And, and yeah. can take care of that critical part of me as well because she needs care and nurturing too. Yes, being critical often is trying something that's trying to protect you or kind of shut you down a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's often fear, fear. Yeah. yeah, and, and threat. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's lovely. So, and I guess a couple of other. Sorry. No, go on. A couple of other things, I guess, is I I've changed with my illness. I've um, changed to a plant-based diet. And I'll add to this, I'm not a qualified dietitian or nutritionist, so yeah. I would always advise people to seek their own advice when considering making changes. But for me, that was really helpful and fits with my values around being compassionate to myself and others and to the world as well. Yeah. And movement has been really important, mm. um, even if it's been days where I could only, you know, when my health was particularly bad, only able to move a little bit that regular movement um, had been really good. And recently I've started some more regular structured exercise yeah. and it's been feeling really excited. It's only been in the last couple of weeks, but it's been feeling really excited that I can do so much. And yeah. then I notice as well, there's just this little underlying fear, this little voice that says, what if you overdo it? What if you do too much and you get really sick again? What if, what if, what if? And I just have to notice that and reassure myself, I guess, that, you know, I've got the wisdom now to know that some days, if I'm not as robust, I don't need to do as much. Mm. But that I can actually take some little risks, if you want to call them, yeah. and just push myself that little bit and try out how it feels, knowing that I can listen into my body and make different decisions and change what I do. Yeah, um, so it sounds like been a really important. fine balance between kind of pushing yourself and taking mm. care in equal amounts yeah. yeah it's not an easy journey it's not an easy journey yeah. and um, I guess you struggle with a lot of pain do you through your body I, I have been in the past since changing my diet I've actually had an amazing response to that because um, yeah. I think it, I'm on a much less it much more um, non-inflammatory diet yes yeah so that's been really helpful yeah, so a nice um, holistic approach. You've looked at every area of your life by the, by the sound. Yeah, and I think, you know, getting some relevant health professionals on board um, is important. And that's going to differ for everybody. And the only thing I'd say to that is making sure that people are, um, you know, suitably qualified in what you want to see them for. Um, because I think we can get desperate. I think when, you're, when your health is not good you can get desperate looking for answers absolutely and that makes you vulnerable to seeking out anything so I, I would say find relevant health professionals but make sure they are adequately qualified yes yeah and nutrition's been I have a nutritionist I've I've had one for about well five years now and it's nutrition has been one of the key things that I've really worked on in my diet and I've found yeah. somebody that I really trust. And you do get such a mix of information and um, doctors saying different things and it can be really frightening and really throw you when yeah. you're feeling quite vulnerable anyway. So having kind of, I have a nutritionist, I take all my blood results, everything I discuss with my doctors I take everything to it I just really trust her and it's and little I mean I'm really bad sweet tooth and I'm you know I'm really bad with my diet but um you know I she's really helped me make small achievable little changes but it has been yeah. and I have a massage every six weeks and I've just got a few people that um have been really solid on my journey it takes a while to find them doesn't it but yeah. You do need kind of that really good advice because I think when you're scared or in pain or feeling really ill, um, you don't you, your judgment goes a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? Absolutely, and I think you know you you really have to advocate for yourself with the different people you see, and if you if you can't advocate for yourself at that time, yeah. it's okay to take somebody with you who can advocate for you, but yeah. also listen to your own wisdom because we do know our bodies. Yeah. If we slow down enough to listen. Yes, yes. It's hard to slow down and listen, isn't it? Yeah. But you're right. They, it's 
yeah, we need to listen, don't we, to what our body is saying to us. Absolutely. I think one of the other things for me, and I, I recognise my privilege here, because yeah. I was able to change my work situation. Um, I, I left a workplace where I loved working yeah. and I loved the clients I worked with and I had great colleagues there. And it, I had to travel sort of 35 minutes and I was in too much pain. I, I was getting too fatigued by the time I got yeah. to work. So I had to make a decision um, to leave there. And I didn't know if I was going to actually have to give up work completely because my health was deteriorating that quickly or if I just needed to change what I did. Yeah. And I guess I was fortunate that whilst it was a very difficult decision for me, mm. um, I was fortunate that I could make that decision. So I guess my point in that is sometimes we need to make difficult choices in service of yeah. our health and well-being. Yes. Yeah. You know, fortunately for me, like I say, I started up working for myself just yeah, very slowly you, at first. That's a really tough decision. Some of the t decisions you've made, <laughs> I just think, oh my God, that's so brave. You know, at, at difficult times, you decided I'm going to work for myself, set up a business to for my health. But I yeah. think it's hugely brave. Well, I think for me, one of the important things was and one of the I guess helpful things was yeah. I had prior to prior to being um, a CFT therapist I had done a lot of my training in acceptance and commitment therapy right and so I had done a lot of work around values um, and I was very clear on what some of my values were so when I was making these choices I kept coming back to my values mm. what is important to me what is meaningful um, so whilst it was, I mean, it, you know, it was one of those decisions where you just cry and think, I, I don't want to leave where I am and my colleagues and my clients. Um, yeah. I was, I was very humbled because some of my clients chose to come with me. Um, yeah. so yeah. I got to keep working with some of them, yeah. but it was, it was a values based decision and it was a necessary decision. Um, yeah. Yeah. and I think, you know, for me, it turned out well because the changes I have made, have meant that my health has improved mm. remarkably and now I'm not only doing clinical work two days a week I'm like you know traveling overseas for things and I'm yeah. doing trainings and I'm planning other things so um yeah, yeah, yeah. it's worked yeah. out well yeah and when we spoke before the podcast we talked about the roller coaster of managing chronic health conditions um, and and sometimes we know that we should we should be doing we know what's right for us and we know we should be doing this that and the other, but it's really tough to make the right choices, especially if you're feeling like crap. You oh, yeah. And I think this is this is probably where I'm at because I'm changing my diet. I've just been diagnosed with celiac, so I'm changing my diet. Um, I'm having to really. I I have been vegetarian for a long time. I'd love to do plant based, but it just feels it just feels really in the distance from me now because I'm just trying to cut out a major food group that's you know, um, and and I I know the decisions that. I need to be making but sometimes I think when you're unwell or vulnerable it's really tough to do the things that are going to help you we kind of want the quick fixes don't mm. we and, oh, and yeah. sometimes if we're angry it's like just mm. drink the wine or eat the chocolate mm. what can you give us some or me <laughs> some <advice laughs> on, um, kind of how you've overcome that or how you've worked with that because you've made you've made some amazing decisions and like you know you like being doing the plant-based diet but I guess it's that's been quite a journey has it yeah look let me start by saying you know I this isn't me I'm not perfect I don't do this perfectly yeah. I have the sod this drink the wine um <laughs> you eat the chocolate days as well um yeah. you know it is a roller coaster yeah. um I think learning, for me, it's been learning to tune in and trust my own inner wisdom. That's probably been the biggest thing. But it's not, that wasn't an easy thing to come by. And I'll, I'll tell you what I now call my chocolate story because I use this in my head to remind myself, ah, oh, this is the chocolate again. Yeah. I was, before I changed my diet and did lots of other things, yeah. 
I was I was noticing that sometimes after I ate, I felt quite sick. Yeah. And I'd say to my husband, oh, I think there's certain things maybe I'm eating that are, are not helpful. Yeah. And I'd eat, and then one day I remember saying to him, I used to, I mean, I'm, I'm a chocoholic from way back, and I oh, used to love really? milk chocolate. Yeah. So I'd, I'd be eating the chocolate, mm-hmm. and sometimes more chocolate than perhaps I needed to eat. Yeah. And then I'd think, I'd get this little voice in my head saying, maybe it's the chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I'd just think, oh, what's, what's that? That's ridiculous. Um, and then eventually I said to my husband, I'm, I'm wondering if it might be the chocolate, but do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have some more chocolate tomorrow <laughs> and see if actually it is the chocolate. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> so I did that a few times. And I'd yeah. say to him, oh, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll have some more and I'll see. Because I really did not want to give up the chocolate. No, I'm not. Yeah. And no, sugar's really bloody inflammatory, isn't it? And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I would go on and then I would keep getting this voice. And then in the end, this voice got stronger and it was like, you do know it's the chocolate, don't you? So I actually cut out milk chocolate and I moved to dark chocolate because I'm like, oh. well, I can't give up chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> it's chocolate. And I moved to dark chocolate. Yeah. And then in the end, it was like, okay, I'm eating too much of that. And then it was sort of like, okay, it's the sugary stuff. And I started to really listen to that voice. And then as I'd eat, I'd be more mindful of how my body was responding to that. Um, and I made sort of changes. But then I did make quite, you know, a dramatic change to a complete plant-based diet last April. Yeah. Um, which has been amazing of, for me. Yeah, um, things just kind of tap you on the shoulder, don't they? And they go, you know yeah. this isn't good. You know this isn't good. Um, and it sounds like you really slow it down. So Yeah. So, and at least be willing to not just hear it yeah. but be willing to actually respond to it mm-hmm. um we can all hear it it's like you know you shouldn't do that you shouldn't have that yeah but it's are you willing to take action on that yeah um, and the thing you know, for me it's been kind of re- you know doing the uh, i think i've talked about cream eggs on another podcast i'm gonna have to change it but it's cream it's um cup of cream egg season over here isn't it at the moment um like having it and then not having it and really spot trying to notice the difference in how yeah. i feel and and then and keep going to the kind of feeling better it's like i can have a glass of wine a night and you know but i i really on the nights where i i don't and i just feel so different and then keep really focusing on 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 the kind of how good you feel when you don't it gets easier and easier doesn't it but a journey (laughs) absolutely and you you mentioned anger before and i think i've eaten out of anger a lot Mm. recently because i'm annoyed that i can't eat what i want and i think you know I, i went through a lot of anger of you know anger at my body anger at my life anger at the specialist for not knowing what was wrong with me for so long yes yeah. anger that I've been through so many appointments and so many tests and not given any answers and yeah. angry at myself for not treating myself in a helpful way and I think the ability to sit with and listen to that angry part of me was really important as well and being able to make space for all the feelings that I was having and feelings that I still have yeah I did you have really did you have go for your own therapy during that to kind of vent it or is that something you've just managed yourself to listen to um, anger? look I, i've done my own therapy at different times during my life um i didn't do it during this right. um, so listening to your angry self it was that just kind of creating the space was that writing it out or just just letting it go in your mind I think for me it's that really just sitting and slowing down and tuning in and listening yeah. to what the different parts of me have got to say about stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I guess offering compassion to those parts of like, yeah, this is really difficult. This yeah. is a really difficult journey. Yeah. So that's another um, really big aspect in compassion focused therapy is that you acknowledge that there's different parts of you. So there's your angry mm. self, self, there's the sad self, the anxious self, and also the compassionate part of you that would 
has strength and wisdom and courage and would know what to say to a good friend it's turning that back on you so it's just kind of as well as the anger looking at all the different parts it's so powerful isn't it I think I had the realization um I I've my health has been remarkably well for a while now um sort of late later end of when I say a while, sort of later end of last year. And then, of course, the holiday period, and you, you know, you're out and you're routined, and you drink more alcohol than you normally, and you um, have more sugary treats than you normally. Yes. Um, and, I, and it came to me, my wisdom kind of showed up and said, management of a chronic illness, that's a cure, Haley. And I was like, oh, that's right. I actually can't just get to the point where I manage it till I feel better. And then go back to doing the things I was doing. Yes. This, this is actually, you know, likely for me and for many people, a lifelong process yeah. of taking care and doing things that are helpful, not harmful. Yeah. Um, and I think having flexibility in thinking, though, as well, because it's not about, you know, sticking to some strict regimen all the time. You can have days where you don't take care of yourself as well and go and do things that you know aren't so helpful. Yeah. That flexibility in it as well. Um, and I think for the most important thing is remembering that you're doing the best you can under the circumstances you're in. Yeah. The knowledge and the skills that you've got. Yeah. And whilst it might really feel like it, you're not alone in this. Mm. Yeah, it's lovely advice, really nice. When we are struggling with any part of our health, a sense of hope can feel very out of reach or fragile. And what what you share online, I mean, I'd really recommend anybody go and follow you on Instagram or Facebook, um, but everything you share is full of hope and compassion. What would you advise somebody listening who is struggling cultivating hope at the moment? What would I advise? Well, I think, firstly, nothing is permanent. Yeah, the way that's you're nice. feeling right now is not the way you are always going to feel. Yeah. So we're always moving through and on a journey. That's good. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you remember that last really bad day that you got through, you got through it. Yeah. Yeah. And that small improvement in what you can do, mm. that's an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I think perhaps what we need to do is we need to readjust our expectations. Mm. We can't do the things in the way we used to do them. Yeah. We have to readjust the expectations of ourselves and also remember that other people have learned ways to manage this and you can too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice. Thank you. Often- I was saying before, sorry. No, go on. I think I was saying one before, one of the hardest and most upsetting things for me was how harsh my self-critic was when I was sick and yeah. how absolutely useful I felt and told myself I was. And cultivating a compassionate self was probably the greatest gift I gave myself. Mm. And I think it's possible to live a full and meaningful life with a chronic illness. Yeah. It may just look different to the life you'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to an amazing podcast you might like to listen to. It was with Lady Gaga. She has fibromyalgia and um, I think she struggles with depression as well. And she was talking with Oprah on Oprah's masterclasses and you see her full life and she's talked so openly about her struggles and what she's gone through in the journey that she is still very, very much on. But I think in terms of inspiring hope, it was phenomenal podcast that you know how her struggles are you know she's turning it into kind of a a lifelong project that's very meaningful for her and so i mean i think this this might sound um strange and weird to some people but i actually give gratitude to my fibromyalgia now that's what she was saying. She says, sometimes she says, you know, I'm a gratitude for her pain. Yeah. Because it actually, 
slowed me down. It slowed me right down. <laughs> and I had been running real fast. <laughs> yeah. It slowed me right down and really got me to reconnect with my values mm-hmm. and made me make decisions. Yes, were difficult at the time, but have led to um, amazing opportunities and decisions. Yes. Yeah, so, I do yeah, think with um, my health conditions as well is it makes you stop and think about your life and the direction it's going in. I'm probably more healthier than I ever would have been if I hadn't had this happen to me and I've made choices in my work and, and stuff. So you're right. I mean, and sometimes, my God, it's difficult to see that at the start. But when you can look back and you think, actually, I have made some really good decisions on the back of it. Um, I, I'm turning 50 um, very shortly. Um, I said to somebody the other day, yeah. I'm going to be turning 50. And the ironic thing is, I feel 10 years younger than I did two years ago. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Oh, I hope, you know, for there's probably going to be people listening that are struggling with hope or in the middle of some something tough. And I, I really hope that um, I know they'll take a lot from, from everything you said. That's really interesting. Thank you. And as attending therapy is a kind of um I think it's it been important important part of my journey, and you know we're both therapists and people that are thinking of kind of attending therapy it can be so daunting for people. If somebody was considering it, what what advice would you share? Well, first, I think I'd say take a deep breath. Mm and a long breath out and go for it. I also think it's important that people remember that your therapist chooses to be a therapist and you don't need to worry about looking at them. That's lovely. Care of the therapist's feelings. Um, It's our responsibility as therapists to make sure we've got sustainable practices and take care of our own self. But I would highly recommend it. But it's finding the right fit. Sometimes think of it like, you know, if you went to a hairdresser and mm. you didn't like the way they cut your hair, one, you might tell them, and then if you went back next time and you cut the hair and didn't like it, did not listen to you, would you just never go to the hairdresser again? Or would you find a new hairdresser? Yeah. So it's kind of the same. Don't give up on therapy if you don't have a good experience. Mm it's finding the right fit and we know that in the evidence isn't it the more the better the therapeutic alliance and that you feel that your therapist can help you and has got your back and you know you can be really open with them the better outcomes people have yeah absolutely absolutely it's an important relationship it really is yeah i think it's something somebody you know everybody should do at least once in their life so um, that's really useful thank you often in our work there's resources and personal practices or books or videos that we recommend to people and keep going back to or things that we do for ourselves that we found really useful are there some resources that you can share like that gosh i think there's so many great resources out there (laughs) i think for me soothing rhythm breathing which is one of the practices therapy yeah. probably my go-to certainly that I work with all my clients with um, yeah. certainly I use daily for myself um, and I'll recommend breathing apps for your phone to clients again there's so many of them out there it's about finding the one that fits for you yeah um, and compassionate imagery work mm. so sometimes we'll do imagery work around building a, um, an image of a compassionate other or maybe a safe space imagery. Um, the hashtag that we mentioned before, um, 365 Days of Compassion. Yeah. Wonderful resource, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think mainly, I try and work with clients on building their inner resources, of working yeah. their wisdom and their courage, because it's there. Yeah. We just obviously, we just often... We don't give it back to ourselves, do we? We're just often um, so noisy in our heads yeah. that we don't hear it. So that's slowing down and yeah. listening and teaching them to slow down and listen. And living with intention. I have um, a desk uh, sign. I live with the intention to be helpful, not harmful to myself and others. 
caring, courage, wisdom, behaviour. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah, really lovely. Thank you. And one of the final questions, if you could have a conversation with your 15-year-old self, what would you say and what would you want your younger self to know? Wow, okay. (laughs) (laughs) How I wish I could literally go back in time and hold her tight. Oh, no. Yeah, she was in pain and she tried to manage that pain all by herself. Oh. I would let her know that it's going to be okay. Mm. I would say to her, darling, where you are now is not where you're going to be. You're still going to go through some really hard things and just know that you are going to get through them all. Mm. Know that you have the courage and determination and skills. And... Darling, know that you shine so brightly, even though you only see shadows. Oh. I would want her to know that she is so lovable and so capable. I would want to tell her that she's not stupid, that she ends up with a PhD, and she gets to call herself doctor, and she's president of an organization. Yeah. That one really, <laughs> that one really tickles me, because I never dreamed of being president. <laughs> and I'd also want to tell her whilst everything's in life, they really don't want to admit things. Yeah. Mostly, I would want to let her know that she's not alone, that mm. it is okay to help, that it is okay to struggle and stumble and fall, and it's okay to live life as you want it to be. Mm. When my son turned 18, we bought him a ring and had it engraved on the inside, the words, walk your own path, because I want him to make his life what he wants it to be, not what he thinks I or anyone else expects it to be. I think it's so important that we allow people to be who they are and let everyone take off the masks. We're not clones of each other. The world is beautiful because of the diversity. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's what I would want her to know. That is so lovely and warming. I'm going to have a lovely day today because, of course, it's the start of my day. It's kind of the end of yours, isn't it? But, oh, this has just been so lovely. Thank you so much. If people, Thank you for inviting me. Oh, pl- absolute pleasure. If people want to find out more about you or follow you on on social media and know more about what you do um where where's the best place to find you where can people kind of follow you well i'm on instagram and twitter and facebook under dr Haley d quinn and i've also got a facebook page quintessential psychology or they can email me if they like at Haley h-a-y-l-e-y yeah brilliant and i'll put all links to that with the show notes and the sound might have been a little bit up and down but um it's just been such a a joy and it's so amazing to connect with somebody the other side of the world so i hope that people haven't struggled with the sound and we'll try and make it the best we can but just and i just want to give another shout out to chris winston and the hashtag 365 days of the year because it's connecting so many people it's such a valuable resource if you're interested in any of the things that me and Haley have talked about and just a massive thank you Haley. and i look forward to you coming to the conference in bristol this year i am hoping to be at the conference in october yes fantastic there'll be more dancing and fun and learning absolutely absolutely and thank you again so much it's been an absolute pleasure oh thank you so much Haley. take care bye thank you thanks bye-bye